Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Well, good morning. City Light, South Lincoln, how are you guys doing this morning? Good? Awesome. Well, hey, I'm excited to be with you guys. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Alex. And uh, like you said, my name is Phil. I'm a pastor and church planter, and currently I serve as one of the pastors at City Light Omaha. And I'm so excited to be linking arms uh, with Andrew Sherable to plant City Light Fort Collins. In fact, the primary reason I'm here this morning is to recruit all of you to go to Colorado. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's just been so fun to see God pave the way and write this story. And we're so excited to see what God is going to do in 2020. And I'm excited for you guys as a church. Uh, it's just been amazing, an amazing story uh, unfolding in just the last three and a half years. I came on staff in Omaha three and a half years ago, moved from New Mexico, and and that was about the same time that City Light Lincoln's getting planted. And then a couple years ago, this happened, the South location, and now you guys are becoming your own autonomous church. So are you guys excited about that? Make some noise. That's amazing. And so you guys have some amazing leaders, Ricky and Alex, as your pastors. And so I can be more excited for what lies ahead of you as they lead you uh, in this year. It's going to be awesome to watch uh, God write this story. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there. And as you do that, I want to start by sharing a story. And before I share the story, I just want to share this truth. This is, a, I think this is a fact known around the world, is that men are generally bad at asking for directions. Am I right on that? All the women are like, yes, that's true. <laughs> um, but I share this story. Here's the story. Chris Aruska is one of the lead pastors in Omaha. He helped pioneer it and plan it back in 2012. And him and I go way back. We've been friends since 2004. He was a student at uh, Wayne State College. He likes to describe it as the Harvard of the Midwest. Um, and I don't understand that because he always says all you have to do is take the ACT. You don't have to pass it. Just take it and you get in at Wayne State. And anyway, I, I'm a student. I was a student at New Mexico State University. We became great friends uh, about 16 years ago. I've been friends ever since. And uh, a couple years into that, we were both in college. We had a friend getting married. And he came down to New Mexico. We were both groomsmen in the wedding. And so he was down in New Mexico for a few days visiting. This is southern New Mexico in Las Cruces. And uh, we're hanging out. And I thought it'd be a really good idea to cross the border. We're really close to Mexico. Go over to Juarez, Mexico. Have a really good, authentic Mexican dinner. So that's what we set out to do. I was leading the charge that night because I had been there once before. But let me remind you, there were no smartphones. There was no GPS. There was no navigation, and I didn't have a map because I thought I knew the way, and I didn't take a map. I'm just going off of memory. And so uh, we cross the border, we're in our car, and things look familiar, but then I start to realize I've got two of the most important people in my life in the car. I've got my wife, and I've got my best friend, and I'm starting to realize, like, these streets don't look familiar. The buildings don't look familiar. I have no idea where I'm at, and I start to panic, and I start to pray, Lord Jesus, please help me. And Chris is in the back seat, breathing down my neck. So you can imagine the scene, right? We're lost. And I share that story to say this, that that night I demonstrated very poor leadership. Like I thought I knew what I was doing, but I had no idea. Have you ever been there? Like maybe I'm the only one, but like I thought I knew the way, but I, I had no idea where we were going. I didn't know the way. I didn't know the language. I got us lost, and it could have ended really, really poorly. Uh, but by God's grace, somehow we pulled up to the restaurant, and we went in, had an amazing meal, ate some flaming cheese queso, 
it was awesome. We get back in the car, and thankfully, we're able to cross back the cross back over the border just off of memory. I don't even know how we made it out of Mexico, but praise God that we did. And I, I share that uh, story because isn't that the reality for all of us? Do we not all fail as leaders at some point, whether big or small? We have these expectations. We, we're, we have these goals set out. We think we know the way. We think we know exactly what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, those expectations, those goals don't get met, and we realize uh, that we failed as a leader in whatever that is. And I want to ask you this question this morning and really want, want you to wrestle with this. Because the reality of the truth is that all of us have a leader in our own lives. And the question for you is, who is that? Who is your leader? Who is your leader? And this morning, I want to show you that we actually make really bad leaders in our own lives. And then we can't just look to Jesus as this guy that saved us from our sin. Because he's both Savior and Lord, and he should be leader in every area of our lives. He's, Jesus is not just a savior, but he's Lord and leader. And when he's leader, he, he shapes every area of our lives and he gives us a new way to live. And the, what the Apostle Paul is saying here in the book of Colossians, he's saying is my greatest desire for you is to know this Jesus, to love this Jesus, to walk with this Jesus, to continue to live for him. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to suffer for you. I'm going to labor alongside of you so that you will know Jesus both as Savior and Lord. And so let me tell you why this matters for us today is because we can often reduce Jesus to the guy that we say that we believe in, but we don't actually live our lives week in and week out, week in and week out and day in and day out for him. We reduce Jesus to this guy that died for our sins, but somehow was not qualified to speak into every area of, of our lives. And what happens when we do that is we push Jesus to the side and we say, God, I'm actually a better leader of my own life. But to be a Christian by definition is to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to share this definition that I heard recently of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple is someone who believes in Jesus and is increasingly putting every area of their life under the leadership of Jesus. Again, a disciple is someone who believes in Jesus and is increasingly increasingly putting every area of their lives under his leadership. And see, what I've learned in this life is this life works much better when Jesus leads and we follow. And so we have to evaluate today who gets the final say in our lives. Is it us or is it Jesus? And as we look at this text this morning, there are two, two truths that I want to share with you that should be true in the life of a Christian. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, Number one is this. The tr first truth is we have a new leader. We have a new leader. Look at the first part of verse 6 in chapter 2. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. You receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. Why is Paul telling them to remember that when they received him, they received him as Lord? Why is this significant? And I want to point out that Paul first is writing to those who have received, he's writing to Christians, he's writing to the church in Colossae. And what, is it, what does it take to be a Christian? To be a Christian simply means you acknowledge your sin, your brokenness before a perfect holy God, and you realize that you can't live a perfect life, that Jesus is the only one that lived a perfect life, that he died the death that you deserved on the cross, and then he rose again 
on the third day to give you life. See, Christians are not people who simply achieve more spiritually. Christians are people who receive the free gift of God's grace that's made available to all who will receive him. Christians are not people who simply have this intellectual knowledge like, yes, I believe Jesus, but I'm going to go live my life. No, it's not just about an intellectual knowledge. It's about receiving him as both Lord and Savior. And what does that mean? What does Lord mean? I just want to give some definition to that because I, I just know that you're probably not using that language, Lord, often in your weekend and we, like day-to-day lives, like outside of the church. But Lord simply means someone who has ultimate power and authority in your lives. And in our world, uh, in our culture, we all live under some type of authority. If you've been an athlete, the coach, the head coach, he has authority, right? He calls the shots. He has the headset. He's calling the plays from the sideline, and you, like, the players follow his lead. In the military, it's the general. He gives marching orders, and the soldiers follow his lead. And again, the point is that all of us have some type of authority in our lives. And what Paul is saying here is you need to get to the point where you can say, Jesus, like I've tried. I've tried to live my own life. I've done it my way. Like I've lived for myself. But now I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to follow your lead because you're not just a friend. You're not just a savior. You're not just somebody that I come to when I'm in trouble, but you are the leader of, you are the rightful leader of every area of my life. That is what Paul is reminding the church in Colossae to continue to live in Christ in this way. And it's important to remember that as human beings, what happens? We are prone to forget. We are prone to forget the goodness of God and the works of God, and we take it for granted, and, and we lose sight of what's really most important. We, we want to acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, but we don't want to acknowledge him as Lord. We don't want to give up control because we like to have control. And the Bible shows us that this is not a new pattern. The people of God forgot over and over and over again. You think about the nation of Israel. They were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They were there for 400 years, and quickly they forgot the goodness of God and the power of God, and they hardened their heart, and they became stubborn and bitter toward God. And what did they do? They started to create idols for themselves, and they worshiped these idols rather than worshiping the God who saved them. And you look back at Genesis and the creation account with Adam and Eve, right? God created them. He sustained them. He had perfect fellowship with them. And they thought that they could be better leaders than God. And so what did they do? They took matters into their own hands, and that's when sin entered into the world. Listen, church, we're prone to forget, but we must remember. We are prone to turn away, but we must remain faithful. We are prone to try and lead our own lives, but we, just like the Colossians, need this reminder to continue to live in Christ, trusting him as both Savior and Lord, just as you received him, continue in that. And today I want you to ask yourself honestly, who is at the center of your life? Who is on the throne of your life? Are you in control or is it him? Is he the leader of your life? Or have you cheapened grace? And have you given your life, given yourself a license to sin, to flirt with the things of the world? Have you simply accepted this free pass to heaven but you don't want to acknowledge Jesus as king. And I want to tell you this morning that that is not Christianity. Jesus must be Lord of our lives, not just someone who saves us from our sins. 
I'm 36 years old, and I've been married for 14 years. I have four amazing daughters. I think I got a photo up here of my family. Um, so four daughters, 12, 10, 7, and 5, hashtag Robinson Sorority Life. Okay, so I just ask you to pray for me. I'll receive all the prayers that I can get. But I share that, that photo because I want to introduce you to my family. And I, I am so blessed. Like, it's an amazing testimony of what God's done uh, in me and my wife's uh, story and in our kids. But I, I want to share with you that there was a season of my life where I really forgot. I forgot Jesus as leader and Lord of my life. And I just want to confess how easy it can be to do that, to just acknowledge Jesus as a Savior, but not really acknowledge him as Lord. Because I had the knowledge, I had the information, and I knew that I was saved, but I was in really great danger because I had been so consumed with some of the things the world has to offer. And before college, I was caught up in the religious games. I grew up in the church, and I was trying so hard to earn God's love and approval. I was trying to live my life and to be perfect. And I was beating myself up over sin, and I was weighed down with guilt and shame. And it wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I started to realize, like, I can never live a perfect life, and nobody can. Jesus is the only one that lived a perfect life, and he came, and he died for me, and he needs to be the leader of my life. And I remember 18 years old, just surrendering my life to him, and it completely changed my life. Did that, does that mean it was perfect? Absolutely not. There were definitely bumps along the way, and I got my degree in civil engineering in 2007 and started working right away in corporate America in Houston, Texas, and a couple of years later, God started to really stir in my heart and convict, convict me of some things that were going, in my, going on in my life, and, you know, I was so, I got so consumed in climbing the corporate ladder in finding my security and my identity and my success and making more money and pursuing all of that that I just I just forgot like and I was trying to take control of my life and thinking that I could live my life in a better way lead my life in a better way and I just believed the lie that I actually was leading my life better than God could do it but really what I was doing is I was after the greed of money and success and that's what I was following and early on, this was early on in my marriage, and I just want to share this with you because this is what was going on in my life. I was, I was struggling. I was entertaining lustful thoughts about others, and I was struggling with pornography, and I was not seeking to live for God, and I was not seeking to live for my family, but I was seeking to make much of me. It became about me and what I wanted to do. And what I said about Jesus and how I lived for Jesus looked completely different. And I just remember feeling just disconnected, disconnected from God, disconnected from my wife, disconnected from my kids. And I was alone and I was in shame and I felt like I was never good enough. And I knew that I was struggling and my marriage was struggling. And I got so caught up in living for myself and my career and it was empty and I was dissatisfied. But I, I'm so grateful that, that God stepped in, that he continued to pursue me even in one of my darkest hours of my life. And one night, I, I, I share this with you because I remember God speaking to me so clearly. One night I'm sitting in my bed 
and I'm 25 years old at the time, two kids, and I'm just struggling. And God spoke this to me. I opened up my Bible in 2 Peter, and 2 Peter, the purpose of 2 Peter is very similar to Colossians, that it, Paul is warning against this false teaching that is there, and to stay true to live for Jesus Christ and to live in his ways. And I remember reading in chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, if you guys want to turn there, you can. I just remember reading that God has given me everything that I need. He's given me everything that I need to, to live a godly life. He's given me his spirit. He's rescued you. He's redeemed me. He's saved me. And I remember reading that, that I needed to supplement my faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control uh, with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly love and brotherly love or brotherly affection with love. And then I read this in verses 8 and 9. And these words should be on the screen. It says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And in that moment, I was so convicted I was cut to the heart, and tears began to fall down my face because I realized I had forgotten. I'd forgotten Jesus Christ as my Lord, and I was trying to lead my own life. I had forgotten, and I never want to forget again. And church, I don't want you, if you're a Christian, to forget this truth. Jesus is not just a Savior. Jesus is Savior and Lord, and that should shape and inform and influence every area of your life, every area of your life and everything that we do. And I share that story because, honestly, we're all in danger. And I just want to ask you this morning, where are you at with this? Is Jesus Lord over your health? Is he Lord over your marriage? Is he Lord over your kids, over your sexuality, over your finances, over your career, over your singleness? Is he Lord over your time? Are you calling the shots, or are you looking to Jesus to lead you in those areas? And I just want to speak to the parents in the room for a moment. I'm a parent. This is something I wrestle with, parents. Um, maybe you're trusting in Jesus as Lord over your marriage, uh, but you're not with your kids. You're not in your parenting, or vice versa, and I've been there. I'm a parent. I'm a father. I've tried it. I know it doesn't work, but to be honest with you, it's something I still struggle with. What does it look like to be Lord over our kids? One sign that you're trying uh, to be Lord over your kids is you're constantly frustrated with your kids, with their inability to measure up to the expectations that you have set for them. And you're frustrated because they can't do the things that you wish they would do. You know, my youngest is five years old, and I'm still mildly frustrated that she can't take care of herself. Like, she can't bathe herself, she can't make her lunch, she can't do her laundry, she's not self-sufficient. But sometimes I treat her like she's 15, and I'm impatient, and I'm not compassionate, and I'm not tender, and I'm not trusting God with her, but I'm trying to control the situation because I'm just thinking about myself. Listen, your kids are not puppets for you to control. You don't get to dictate their ability or passions, but it's your role as a parent, as a primary disciple maker in the home to steward to your best of your ability to invest in them and to, to pursue them and to love them and to care for them and point them to Jesus so that they would love him and walk with him and follow him all the days of their lives. 
And so that's for parents, but the question for all of us this morning is, what is it for you? What are you not trusting the Lord with? What are you not, what are you trying to lead yourself? Where do you need to loosen your grip and just give it over to Jesus? Where have you crossed the line with sin? And you know that you need to confess, you need to repent, you need to turn once again to Jesus Christ. And I just really want you to think about that for a moment. I want to let that set in because I would say that all of us have an area of our lives. All of us in the room, whether it's a relationship, patterns of sin, addictions, or maybe it's a good thing that you've made an ultimate thing in your life and you've placed that above your relationship with Christ. And maybe somebody invited you here today, maybe this whole church thing is brand new to you, and maybe you have doubts and questions about your relationship with God. You don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know who you are, but I want you to know this, that Jesus loves you, he cares for you, he wants to have a relationship with you, he wants to forgive you of your sin, he wants to adopt you into his family, he wants to give you eternal life, and he wants to be the leader of your life. But you have to first surrender control. You have to say, your way is better than my way. I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to put you at the very center of my life. And so that's the first truth, is that we have a new leader. The second truth I want to share with you this morning is this. Number two, we have a new way to live. We have a new way to live. I want to read those verses again. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. On January 9th, 2006, I married my wife, uh, Paige, and I became a husband. And that, that day, you know, I took a wife, I became a husband, and the next day I had to make good on that commitment, on the vows that I made to love and to cherish her. And now 14 years later, it is a joy to do life with my wife, to love her, to serve her, uh, but there's really a good lesson that I've learned over the last 14 years of marriage, that there's no coasting, right? There's no coasting in uh, marriage. Like, I can't look at the pile of trash today and say, hey, I took that back out, and I took that out in 2010, right? So I don't have to do that now. It's just like, I did that once. That's not the way it works. And I can't look at her and say, you know what, we're good, right? I'm just going to go chill and uh, just watch the game on ESPN, um, oh, wait, we're not good. <laughs> like, you actually need me to, to listen, uh, to enter in, to be emotionally present, to care for you. And that's who I need to be as a husband. Like, to, to every day make that commitment to love, to walk with my wife, and to make good on the commitment that I made the day that we got married and shared those vows with one another. And, and see, there's no coasting, there's no cruise control. And what Paul, Paul is saying in this passage is this. If you have said yes to Jesus... Continue to walk in him, to live for him. It's not passive. It's active. It's ongoing. And this is really important. If our belief system of Christianity that Jesus is Lord of our lives does not influence in our every area of our lives, does not give us a new pattern and practice of godly living, then it becomes useless. See, genuine faith in Christ the Lord shapes the way we live our lives. And the Apostle Paul gives us some very clear instructions how to do that. There are three ways. Right there in the text, we have a new way to live. Paul instructs us in three ways. The first is this, rooted and built up. So this is for the church in Colossae, but it's also for us as a church today. 
And the imagery that Paul uses here, it's very similar, uh, but the main idea is this, that there's something underneath, there's something providing life, there's something providing support. And I really believe that the best illustrations come from the Bible themselves. And Jesus taught in parables, and I want to read one of these parables to you from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Jesus said these words, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So City Light, do you see how important this is? Like one of my greatest prayers for myself as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, and for you as a church, is that you'd be firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. Because the reality is you're going to be tempted to latch on to the things of this world, the things that look good and feel good for a while, and they might go steady for a while, but they will be like sand, and they will wash away before you know it. See, God says we have to not only hear the words, but actually do them. And the most practical way that you can hear God is through his word. It's through the Bible. You want, it to be, you want to be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ and put yourself under the word of God. Study it, memorize it, immerse yourself in it because you're going to be building a foundation that lasts because it's not, the, it's not you building the foundation. The foundation's already there. You simply have to get on it. It's, it's Jesus. It's his word and it's his way. So stand on the solid rock today. And so that's the first way we're instructed to live is, number one, rooted and built up. The second is this, established in the faith. What does that mean? Established in the faith. It means established in the simple message of the gospel. And the gospel is simply good news. That's by definition what it means. The good news of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. And that's the message that the early apostles proclaimed. This grace made available to everyone who would receive it to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. There is nothing else to get established in. Nothing else to get established in. And I think this is where so many churches get it wrong, and it's disheartening, and it's saddening, because it becomes more about the people and the preferences, and less about faith in Jesus Christ. It becomes more about an organization, an institution, and religion, and less about actually living and modeling faith in Jesus Christ. It becomes more about winning an argument for the sake of being right, rather than actually pursuing and loving people in Christ. And things can get weird, and arguments break out over the color of the carpet and the songs that are being sung, and people forget that the church was established by God, and what once were movements now have become monuments. And so we have to remember that as people, we are sinful, broken people coming before a perfect, holy God, and that our faith stands in Christ and in Christ alone, and this is the message you're going to hear at City Light, every week, proclaimed unashamedly. That's what it means to be a gospel-centered church, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, get established in the five principles to change your marriage. Get established in the seven principles of spiritual success. You know, get established in the 12 ways to be a better you. No, that's not what the Bible says. Get established in what? 
the person and work of Jesus Christ, because that's the only one that's going to change our lives individually and change us as a church. Amen? And see, this message has been preached for over 2,000 years, and it's the same message. It's the same message that we never outgrow. We can never outgrow our need for the gospel, and that should produce a, a change, a desire inside of us, not done out of duty or obligation, but out of a love for Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven so we can forgive. We've received the free gift of salvation so we can be generous toward others. We've been loved in ways that we don't deserve so we can love other people. And so, church, we cannot take this message for granted. And I'm urging you today to never forget this gospel, that our faith stands and rests in Jesus Christ alone. The third and final way to live is this, right there in the text, number three, abounding, abounding in thanksgiving. And listen, we can't miss this last piece because it really speaks to the motivation of the heart. All of these illustrations that Paul gives, like rooted and built up, established in the faith, what do they have in common? It's not a one and done thing. It's not just saying like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you know what, I'm going to go live my life the way that I want to live it. The Christian life is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, continual surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ and walking in his ways. It's continually fighting against sin and the darkness and the evil that's in this world and in our lives and pursuing Jesus Christ. It's not just applying these truths that we've learned, but applying them out of a posture of joy and gratitude. See, this message is not just about changing our behavior, or being a better moral person. That's what religion says. It says do, walk, try harder. It's about you. It's about your faith. And if we're honest, that's exhausting, right? Because the focus is on you walking toward God and you doing something to get something from God. And so you can lead your life out of religious duty, but you will, you will wind up frustrated, defeated, and ungrateful. And that's what every other religion in the world, they kind of operate under that rule. Tim Keller says it like this. Every religion in the world operates under this premises that you obey, then you're accepted. You follow these set of rules, these parameters, and then you'll be accepted. But Christianity is the only religion in the world that flips it around and says, no, 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 that's not, the, that's not true. You're accepted not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. You're accepted, therefore you obey. And that should lead you, I mean, just to a posture of worship to say, I'm accepted not based on what I've done. I'm accepted based on what Jesus has done for me, and I can respond in joy and gratitude. See, the gospel tells us that Jesus did this for you and for me. So it's not about doing. It's about what's been done. See, he brought us life. He's alive in us, and therefore we can respond. We can live this life in response to his, his life. He walked up the hill to Calvary so that we could walk with him now and for eternity. That should be the motivation to live for him. It's not done out of duty, obligation, performance, but out of delight in him. And listen, I just want to share with you, like personally, I played the religious games. I grew up in the church. I lived under this weight. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're living under guilt and shame, and fear, and duty. But I can say with confidence in my own life that that old motivation is gone because I've experienced the grace of God 
in my life, this free gift of salvation. And my motivation is no longer try to do more, but to live for the one who paid the price for me, like out of gratitude and joy and thanksgiving. See, Jesus changes our motivation. And we should get to a place and have a posture where we can say, thank you, Jesus, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection. If you don't give me anything else in this life, I'm going to praise you with my lips because you are the Lord of my life and you're the Savior that I needed to save me from my sin. And you came into my life and you forgave me and you gave me eternal life and you adopted me into your family. And I know that you're a better leader of my life and that's where I'm going to experience the most joy and meaning and purpose in this life. And so would you lead me because I know you're a better leader than I could ever be for myself. See, that's the posture we should have when we understand what Jesus has done for us. We can receive him. We receive him with joy and thanksgiving, and we continue to live for him in that same posture. And see, like, that's one of the truest marks of being a Christian, abounding with thanksgiving. This morning, are you thankful? Are you thankful? Or are you coming in here grumbling, complaining, maybe bitter, toward a situation or a relationship or a circumstance that really is outside of your control. Abounding with thanksgiving starts with recognizing all that God has done for you, that he came, that he died for you so that you could be forgiven and set free and have eternal life and live for him. See, that joy and that gratitude that comes from having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that joy and that gratitude that comes from knowing and trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, that joy and that gratitude and that abounding in thanksgiving is contagious. And my prayer for you as a church is that would be contagious. And these three ways to live that Paul talks about, my prayer is that it would be contagious in this church. Rooted and built up in Christ. Established in the faith. Abounding with thanksgiving. I want to close with this. Trying to lead your own life is actually really exhausting and frustrating and confusing and hopeless. And so I just want to ask you this morning, would you confess the ways you've tried to lead your own life? Would you repent of trying to lead yourself on your own? And would you trust Jesus once again to be the better leader for you that even you could be on your best day? Would you let the one who saved you lead you? Let the one who saved you lead you. And this truth of trusting Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord, would it capture your heart individually and as a whole church Imagine what God can do when you're living under his rule and reign in your life. See, the stories told about these churches that go from movements to monuments, that's not going to be the story. Years from now, generations from now, I pray that the story that would be told about City Light South Lincoln would be one of a movement of multiplying disciples in churches because you're living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because movements only happen when Jesus is leading they only happen when Jesus is leading. And I just want to address those of you that might have questions or doubts or you don't know for sure whether or not you have a personal relationship with God. I want to give you an opportunity to, to, to invite him into your life, to trust him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Romans uh, 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And so what a beautiful gift that you simply have to receive. See, Jesus wants to come into your life and make you new. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to adopt you into his family, and he wants to lead you. 
He wants to lead you by still waters. He wants to lead you on the mountaintop and in the valley. I mean, he wants to lead every single area of your life. And I want to close with this statement. The best way to lead yourself is to let Jesus lead you. The best way to lead yourself is to let Jesus lead you. Let's pray.